0: All right, we're in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. Last time we got a chance to get started in chapter 2, and there we saw that David knew that he was going to be dying very soon. He wanted to share his heart with his son Solomon, who was going to be the next king of Israel. And if you remember, the deep desire of David's heart was to charge Solomon to prove himself to be a man. And David explained to him what kind of man he was supposed to prove himself to be. It was a man who walks with God and who obeys God completely. And David charged him to do that because he knew that if his son would keep God as the number one priority in every area of his life, then he knew he would have a blessed life, that everything else is going to work out for him. And uh, we know that principle is true for anyone. If you keep God as the number one priority in every area of your life, then you will have a blessed life too. Now that's that's definitely not an easy life. You know, because it's very difficult to live a dedicated, godly life in this world that is so filled with evil. I mean, think of the Apostle Paul, what, we, what he went through, all the hardships, you know, as he faithfully followed Christ. But his life was a blessed life. Remember, he was able to say, at the end of his days, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now that's a pretty blessed life to be able to say that when your life on this earth is coming to an end. And, you know, we ended last time by saying that you don't have to be a king like David here to pass this excellent wisdom on to your son. As believers, we should all charge our children to make the Lord the number one priority in every area of their life. And, of course, we should be living that way ourselves. Let's jump into our passage in 1 Kings chapter 2. We got down to verse 5 last time, so let's jump in right there. It says, Moreover, this is uh, David still talking to his son Solomon, preparing him for the, the duty of being the king that he was stepping into. And in verse 5 he says, Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime. And he put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. So David's instructing his son how to deal with a few people here that were capable of causing some real problems for Solomon and for the kingdom of Israel. These were people who had turned against David before, so they had proven themselves unreliable. And the first one David tells him about is Joab. You remember, he was the, uh, the leader of David's army for quite some time. He was probably the most dangerous of these people because of his extensive military experience, along with the following he might have. There might be a lot of soldiers, you know, who are probably going to be very loyal to him. So David's warning him about this Joab, this is one guy you really need to keep your eye on. So David tells Solomon that Joab was to be executed as a murderer and he gave him the reason for that. He gave him the evidence here because of the two commanders that Joab killed and it was uncalled for. It didn't have to happen that way. It was not right. So Joab needed to be executed so that the nation would be uh, not be guilty of shedding innocent blood. Because justice wouldn't be carried out until that happened. If you want to keep your figure here and turn for a second to Deuteronomy 19, I want you to see what the Lord says when he's talking about justice and how it affects the people and the land when justice is not carried out. So in Deuteronomy 19, and we'll look down to verse 11 here. Deuteronomy 19 Verse 11 says, but if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, and it's talking about the person who committed the crime here, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. So this is talking about someone who intentionally murdered someone. They did it rather sneakily here. He says they, they lied and wait for him, and that's a pretty good description of what Joab was up to. And uh, it says that even though he runs to a city for refuge here, you need to go get him. Then in verse 13, in that same passage, your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood, and notice what it says, from Israel, that it may go well with you. So the implication there is that there is, A problem in Israel that has not been dealt with and the Lord sees that that's always before him so he's saying this needs to be dealt with and again that you might get right back on the track of blessing here like it says at the end of that verse that it may go well with you so this was justice that David was promoting here as he's talking to Solomon about this it was not vengeance he wasn't saying, this guy did stuff that really bothered me and got on my nerves and hurt my feelings, so you need to go deal with him. No, he's saying, this guy broke God's law. He's murdered people. And I've allowed him to go on till this point, but you need to deal with this. That's one thing you cannot let go uh, in your, your leadership here. You've got to deal with it. So go on in verse 7, is back in our passage in 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, the Lord was saying here, I'm um, sorry, verse 6, we'll put that with there. Uh, David said to him, therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. So he's letting Solomon know you need to take this guy out. He needs to be put to death. He's committed crimes that are, have the death penalty attached. And he's saying, you do it in your wisdom. You know, in your time, you take care of that. And of course, this is going to be good for Solomon because these guys really can't be trusted. They turned on David. You know, and if they didn't respect David, they're probably not going to respect his son either, right? So verse 7 goes on then. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. So he's saying, you can bring these guys in for close fellowship. These are good folks. He says, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. He's basically saying, these people helped me out when I was going through a very tough time and I was being chased, I was being hated, I had the wanted poster out on me, and this these people, they went out of their way to help me so they can be trusted. So he's letting them know, these are people that you can trust. So notice here too, David didn't have all bad news for Solomon as he's telling him, these are folks you need to watch out for. There are some good folks too, he's saying, you need to watch out for. You need to show them kindness. They have been a great blessing to me in my life, David was saying, and uh, I know that you can trust them, and, and please bless them in return, because they're they good folks. And we know people like that too, right, that, that we can trust no matter what we're going through, and uh, we're, we're supposed to watch out for them too. That's not to be a, a one-way street. That's supposed to be a two-way street there. And we notice something here too. Here's David. He's dying. He's on his deathbed. Look at David's concern for people to be protected and taken care of and watched out for. That's amazing to me to have that kind of concern for other people while you're on your deathbed. You know, it's tough. I'm not a good patient myself. (laughs) It's really hard sometimes when you're not feeling well, you know, to to sit there and think, okay, how can I pray for somebody else? What can I do for them? How can I help here? Uh, I'm not that kind of a patient myself when I'm going through stuff. It's amazing to see David on his deathbed still having a heart for people. That says a lot about David. Isn't it cool the Lord lets us have so many pictures of David even to the very end of his life and to see almost with his dying breath make sure you help these folks out. you got to watch your back on these guys but these folks, they need, they need to be blessed. You keep an eye on them. So back in our passage, verse 8, David says, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day I went to Mahanaim. So he's saying, this guy's right there with you. Interesting how he stays close in an area like this and it's like, eh, that's not a good thing. He says, but he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, David's talking to Solomon, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his, hair, his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Now, one guy had said that David keeps mentioning this gray hair. I wonder what he has against people with gray hair. I don't know. <laughs> don't let his gray hair go down good, though. <laughs> anyway, that's just being kind of funny. But David knew about this guy, Shimei. He's a shifty character. And he could cause some bad problems for Solomon. He's not a guy that's, that's he's, he's so bold, he's not ashamed to be really close to you and stab you in the back if he sees an opportunity. So David is warning Solomon to, to keep this guy, keep an eye on him, and to test this guy. And Solomon's going to do just that. We're going to see later on in the story a little bit of how Solomon used this wisdom to deal with this guy. Because this guy is is like that, you just got to watch him. So it goes on in verse 10. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. Remember, those were the first seven when he wasn't fully accepted by the entire nation. And then it says and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. So we see that David, it says he had finished his work on earth. And I like the way it says it here that he... Rested with his fathers. That's a cool thing. There are times the Lord shows us people who walked with him, and he'll say a similar thing here, that they went and rested with their fathers. There were others who died, and the Lord doesn't make that comment. So it's a good thing to know that as believers, we've got a place to go, and it's going to be a place of of rest and peace and joy, fellowship. We'll have all of those things. Those who don't know Christ, though, they're not going to get to enjoy any of those things, okay? So then we're told here how long David reigned as king. That first period, he was a king over just a partial area of Israel, but he was still king. So it was a, the entire thing was 40 years, the Lord said. That's a long time to reign as king. And some of those years were very hard years for David. The Lord let us get a glimpse of some of those events, you know, as we got to examine his life through First and Second Samuel. But uh, David made it. He did a good job in the the time he had to reign. Uh, Verse 12 goes on. So after David has has gone to, to be with the Lord, then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, it sounds like everything is going well. The passage doesn't stop with this verse, but this is one of those verses that you're thinking, oh, It'd be great if it just stayed right there, you know, for a long time. (laughs) It sounds like one of those peaceable moments. Unfortunately, they don't last very long. But remember, someday those days will last, right? Where we have peaceable moments. No sweat, you know, nobody bearing down on our back. Nothing going on, but just our focus on the Lord. And that'll be really cool. So verse 13 goes on. Uh, it says now Adonijah the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Remember, this is the guy that tried to do the takeover of the kingdom before David established Solomon there. So this guy's still around, and he comes to Bathsheba, who's not his mother, you know, but she is the mother of Solomon. And so she said, uh, "Do you come peaceably?" <laughs> what a question, huh? And he said, "Peaceably." Now it's pretty bad if someone has to ask you if they're coming peaceably when they come over to your house, you know? That tells you something about that person's character when you have to ask that question, even though this guy is one of the sons of King David. I mean, sounds like a good reputation, right? But we know his background because the Lord's shown us a little bit of that. And he shows up here and she's wondering, what are you up to? (laughs) Are you coming uh, to make peace or what's up? And you remember, too, you know, as he tried to, to steal this kingdom from David, it was when David was on the, the sickbed. He was pretty feeble at that point and basically bedridden. So it tells us a whole lot about this guy's character. He's pretty sneaky. He's conniving. He'll take a cheap shot if he thinks it'll help him. I mean, this is the guy. So when he shows up, it kind of makes sense that Bathsheba would ask him that question. Do you come peaceably? Let me ask you, do you know some people like that? When they show up at your doorstep, you just wonder, what are you up to? (laughs) You know, unfortunately, we meet people in the world like that. And that's the reputation that this guy, Adonijah had made for himself by pulling that stunt against David, his own father. Wow. And it gets better, too, as the story goes on. you got to catch some of this. Verse 14, so moreover, he said, he's still talking, he says, I come peaceably, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel has set their expect- expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. For it was his from the Lord. <laughs> now, are you kidding? What this guy saying here? The kingdom was mine? Says who? Says you? You know, in all Israel, he said, had set their expectation on him. For real? Take a look at chapter one again. We got to catch some of this because this amazes me. I'm just—I'd love to see a look on Bathsheba's face as he's saying this stuff. Uh, in First Kings one, down to verse thirty-nine. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. They blew the horn, and all the people said. Long live King Solomon. Now, this wasn't just a handful of folks here, because it says in verse 40, so all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound, okay? And that was for Solomon, not for Adonijah, this other guy. So amazing is this guy's got all this stuff going in his head, and his story isn't very close to an accurate story at all. He goes on to say, this Adonijah, you know, he said that the kingdom was had been turned over. And what he's meaning by that, it was turned over from him to his brother Solomon. Okay? But it never was his kingdom. It wasn't turned over, you know. So this guy, he is delusional, (laughs) if he really believes what he's saying. This is this is crazy. But then comes the real kicker, if you noticed here. He admits that he knew that it was the Lord's will that Solomon was to be the next king over the nation. He knew that. So he's basically saying, look, I know this was the Lord's will, but I want to take the king back anyway. Okay? Wow. Now I think after hearing that, Bathsheba probably should have just End of the conversation there and call for security to have this guy removed, you know. But the Lord's going to deal with himself himself shortly. He's going to take care of this guy himself. So it all works out for good. I guess Bathsheba was supposed to kind of go along with the program here for a minute because the Lord's going to deal with him. You know, I found, too, that the Lord sure knows how to protect his people. We don't have to worry about that. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I even feel silly as I start to pray and I ask the Lord to protect one of his children. You know, and it kind of dawns on me while I'm praying that God loves his child more than I do, than we ever could love him, right? In this life. So the Lord's already watching over them and protecting them. It's at times like that, you know, I've thought it's probably better just to say, Thank you, Lord, for the many, many times that you have protected them before, and I thank you that you're protecting them right now, you know, and I'm sure that the Lord's already protected them from harm more numerous times than I'm even aware of, so anyway, just a thought, I don't know if you have thoughts like that when you're praying for somebody, but sometimes it makes me feel funny, I'm thinking, if somebody came to me and said, would you watch out for your kids, I'm thinking, I would already watch out for my kids. You know, I, I love them. I'm not going to sit there and turn my back and say, oh, yeah, they got a bad thing coming. They're headed off the cliff. Nah, I'm not going to say nothing. Thanks for reminding me, though. I need to say something. You know, think about this. It. kind of funny. Maybe it's just me that thinks that way. Sorry, but as I'm praying sometimes, it hits me. So verse 16, now I ask one petition of you. He's still talking to Bathsheba, selling his goods here. I ask one petition of you. Do not deny me. <laughs> she said to him, say it. <laughs> I love her answers here, very noncommittal. (laughs) You notice that she wisely didn't say, okay, I'll do whatever you say, but she just says, I'll listen to you, basically. Okay, I'll hear you out. And I think that was pretty sharp. You know, you ladies, you know what's up, right? (laughs) You can smell a rat when there's one standing right in front of you. So verse 17, then he said, here's his big thing he's coming for. Please speak to King Solomon for he will not refuse you, that he may give me, Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. I remember that's the lady that they had found to help keep David warm in his last days. And she probably became one of his concubines, so she legally uh, was one under his care. And now he is asking for her, okay, to be, to be one of his women. So interesting here, he knows, as, he's, as you hear him say this, He knows that Solomon would never do this for him, okay? So he's trying to work an angle here to get his way. Shamey, shamey. (laughs) It turns out that he's making a sly move to try and get the throne turned over to him. What a rascal. I mean, normally, we saw this before with Absalom, right? He went and took his dad's concubines. It wasn't unusual for kings at that time, the new king that came in, to take the old concubines and say, look, I rule, man. Everything's mine. So this is a real slick move he's trying to pull here. And again, it's amazing that he knows that it's not the Lord's will for him to be doing this. You know? The Lord lets us see here, as we look at this, how bad it looks when somebody tries to pull a stunt like this when they know it's not the Lord's will. You know, and I hope the Lord lets this lesson sink deep into our heart. Because we can rise up with selfish ambition, too, if we're not careful. We all have a little Adonisia in ourselves. We're all sinners. So this is a lesson we're intended to see here. A couple of things here, too. First, can you believe there are people like this in the world? I mean, we're not talking about an atheist here. We're talking about somebody who knows that God exists and even knows some things about God, right? He knows God's will for Solomon here. But he just doesn't care. You know, people like that are going to try to do things their own way anyway, even though they know that they're fighting against God. Wow. And secondly, another thing we see here, as we see how persistent Adonijah is, it gives us a picture of how persistent our enemy is too. You know, even when it doesn't make sense for our enemy, the devil, to try things because he's not going to win, He persists in doing them anyway. And it's just like Adonijah here. Why are you doing this? You're not going to get away with it, you know, but still he's going to do it. So verse 18 goes on. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. (laughs) So I'm guessing that Bathsheba is willing to do this just to kind of keep the peace. But I think she knew that Solomon is not going to go along with his request. But sure, I'll do this for you. So verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. I think it's interesting, Lord, lets us see this. Solomon is very accommodating and very respectful toward his mom. I think this shows us that the power of his new position as king, it didn't give him that big head. You know, I mean, this is very honorable the way he treats his mom. He even has a throne brought for her. I mean, he doesn't say, "Hey, bring that little stool over here and have her sit out," would you? No, he actually has a throne brought. Amazing. So this is good to see. I think the Lord again is letting us get a glimpse of Solomon at this point in time. Verse twenty. Then she said this as she's. I had an opportunity to sit down and get before King Solomon. She said, I desire one small petition of you. <laughs> Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And at this point, you know, I'm sure Solomon's thinking, my mom's a very reasonable lady and I know whatever she needs, I- I'm going to take care of it, you know. So he has no idea what's coming. And I, I have to admit, I don't understand why she asked the question this way, and, and said that I need to ask you something, and I don't want you to refuse me, you know, I don't know why she did that, uh, I don't know what her reasoning was, unless she was just trying to appease Adonijah to say, hey, I did it, you know, I took it there, but I like what somebody said, they think that she was being very sarcastic when she said a small request because <laughs> he didn't say small request, you know, but she put that on there because this request really was a huge thing <laughs> and Solomon's going to hear that, right? So Ananias here, if he was thinking he was going to get David's concubine and help him, be, uh, support him to take over the kingdom, I think Bathsheba's hoping that this mere question and even saying it's just a little thing in a sarcastic way that it's going to cause Solomon to be so shocked over the request when he hears it that it's going to cause him to act quickly, to squelch this rebellious attempt by Adonijah. And that is exactly what Solomon did after he heard it. So maybe Bathsheba knew her son well enough to know, I know just how to say this to him. (laughs) uh, It'll get under his skin in a split second. So she did that. Uh, Verse 21, so here she says, here's this small petition. Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Anonijah your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Anonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab, the son of Zariah. So Solomon knew immediately as this was an attempt by, as he calls it, his older brother here. And he was the older brother. And and Solomon, he's thinking, this guy, he's pulled all these stunts already. Because he's the older brother, he thinks he's entitled to this position. Although the Lord said he's not. you know, And, and all this other stuff he's trying to pull here. So Solomon figures this out in a heartbeat. And he knows also who are the co-conspirators with this guy. He names them here, which He was warned by David, and he probably saw this himself coming together. But he said, Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Jerui. Jerui, they're the ones who jumped ship before and tried to follow Abijah. So he knows that Adonijah already has their ear. So Solomon sees this as just another type of thing that Adonijah would try to pull. It's like, ah, it's just like my brother, I know. And, And this reminds us too. That as New Testament believers, we've got to be careful to do things the Lord's way as well. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 2, if we don't do that, lest Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So the devil has a few tricks up his sleeve too, and we need to be alert to that. So the Lord warns us in his word, you know, be alert, be sober. And uh, we do have to keep our eyes open there. So King Solomon, he's, he's got this, and the Lord's been working in him. Verse 23, Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of my father David. Notice Solomon isn't saying, I made this, I achieved this, I've gotten this place, I worked hard for this. No. He said, this is all of the Lord, the whole thing, okay? And he said, he's the one who established a house for me. He said, as he promised, as the Lord promised, he said, Adonijah shall be put to death today. And I believe Solomon saw this as a direct attack against the will of God. And he's going to deal deal with it just that way too. So by the authority that he'd been given as a divinely appointed king, he declared the death penalty for Adonijah's wicked rebellion. You know there are times that we have to deal with things quickly too, especially when it comes to sin in our own life. We don't need to let sin live for another minute in our life once it's been exposed as the evil that it is. We need to nip it in the bud before it spreads. Maybe you've allowed sin to remain in your life and you can you can make we all make that mistake. I mean we all can do that. But take this as a strong warning from the Lord today that you need to put an end to it because it can be as dangerous as this uprising of Adonijah and his attempt to take over the kingdom. The enemy would love to see sin take over the kingdom of your life and mine. So we've got to be careful. We've got to nip it in the bud when the Lord exposes stuff in our life. So verse 25, So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. Very simple end of this one. Solomon dealt with this one swiftly, and he put an end to any further attempt by Adonijah. That guy is done, okay? So verse 26 goes on, into Abiathar the priest, the king, uh, said this. Here's what the message he has to him. Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. And basically what he's doing is kicking him out of the ministry. And he said, you got some fields, you need to go back there. And uh, you're deserving of death. You should be dead because of what you have done. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carry the ark of the Lord God before my father David, because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So he had joined Adonijah's rebellious attempt here to take the kingdom before Solomon was fully aware of that. That was considered treason. Because of that, he could have been put to death. That's what he's saying. You deserve the death penalty. But this guy had made a, a big mistake. He used to be so loyal to David you know, at one time, and that's why Solomon was more patient to him. But by removing him from the priesthood here, it actually fulfilled a prophecy about Eli's family. He was from the family line of Eli, and uh, this made it so that there wasn't going to be any more relatives of Eli's family in the priestly line. It ended right here. You know, it's very interesting when the Lord points something like this out to us. So I want to take a look at that in First Samuel, if you want to turn back there. First Samuel chapter 2. Yeah, when the Lord says, uh, this actually fulfilled a prophecy. I think we need to take a look at that prophecy it's uh, extremely important to the Lord, and I think this reinforces to us when God says something, he means it. He's not, he's not playing games and, and saying, oh, I'd like it to go this way. No, if he says this is the way it's going to go, you can be sure that's the way it's going to go. First Samuel chapter 2, and down to verse 27, says, then a man of God came to Eli, who was the high priest at that time, and he said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father? when they were in Egypt and in Pharaoh's house, did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Talking, i talking, i called your father to be the priestly family line here, to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me. And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire so they're gonna be provided for? I made all that provision for you. So he says, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? And here's what he says they did. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. And we looked at that before. They were cheating the people and cheating the Lord, taking more than they should have. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed behold the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house they're all going to die at a young age and you will see an enemy my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever But any of your men, whom I do not cut off from my altar, shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them, and they did. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house. He shall walk before my anointed forever, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions, because they're not going to be in any, that I may eat a piece of bread. So they're going to come begging for a job because it hasn't worked for them. They've been kicked out of the priesthood. So the Lord is very serious when it comes to someone using their authority as a priest and they disrespect the Lord. This is scary stuff, okay? And I thought the Lord wanted us to see that. It's pretty important when He points that out. So, back in our passage, 1 Kings 2, if you want to look down to verse 28, it said, Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah. Remember in the past, he was jumping on board with him, though he had not defected to Absalom. So, he didn't do that rebellion, but he did the other one. So, Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. And took hold of the horns of the altar. So, after Joab hears how Solomon had dealt with Adonijah and how he hears what he did with Abiathar, Joab knows that he's the next one in line on the most wanted list. So, he seeks asylum by going to the tabernacle and taking hold of the horns of the altar here. Uh, this was a practice in the ancient world to find sanctuary, but this wasn't going to help a, a, a guilty man like Joab. Look at the Lord's law that he has about this back in Exodus 21, or I'll read it to you if you want. It's uh, one verse back here where it says this. Exodus chapter 21 and verse 14 says, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar, in case he runs there to hide and get some, uh, some seeking some protection, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Saying you're not escaping the death penalty here when you're as guilty as sin, and uh, this, he's going to be dealt with. You think about this interesting picture. There are those in the world today who are guilty before the Lord, and they think by running to the altar of religion that they're going to be spared when it comes to time of judgment. But the only place to run in order to be spared is to the cross, to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can wash our sins away and give us total forgiveness because he paid for our sins completely by shedding his own blood on the cross at Calvary. So no other way is acceptable. But some people think, I'll find the horns of the altar somewhere and I'll make it. Nope. You've got to come to Jesus. You've got to humble yourself. Verse 29 goes on. It says, And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Well, I guess we got to let him go because he's at the altar now. No, he knows the law. (laughs) He says, Go strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. you got to hear that in Joab's rough military voice he's got going. And Benaniah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. (laughs) How do you like this Joab guy? Tough guy all the way to the end, you know? It's like he's saying, I may have to die, but at least I'm going to die on my own terms, you know? But you know what? Judgment is judgment. And it doesn't matter how tough you are. When it comes time to deal with your sin, you will pay in full. So verse 31 goes on, Then the king said to him, Do as he has said. Strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab has shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with a sword, Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. So Solomon explained here how putting Joab to death is going to uphold the law. He goes on in verse 33, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So he's explaining, you know, that by Joab's death here, the law is going to be upheld and it's going to place the guilt of those unjust murders. On the, on the guilty party here, which is Joab. David, if you remember, he did not hold him responsible for the, the crimes that he committed, so he didn't put him to death, which he could have very easily said, that's death penalty, buddy, you gotta go. But David showed grace to him for a time, you know, and uh, he did deserve to die, but David didn't, didn't go through with that. So until this this is done, until the, the guilt is gonna rest on David and his family line, according to what is explaining here, because it, justice hadn't been fulfilled yet, okay? Solomon was going to correct that right here. Now, I see this as a warning to those who would seek to remove God's law. As we see in our own culture, you know, we've watered down God's law to the point where crime isn't really seen as being that horrible. And instead of having true justice, which includes the death penalty for murder according to God's law, criminals aren't really being given just sentences. And our judicial system, they might think that they're getting away with that. But we see here that God's law will prevail in the end. You know, man may back off of the law, but God doesn't. He will ultimately hold man responsible. I wouldn't want to be in those guys' shoes either when the Lord brings that about. So back in verse 34, so Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, he went up and he struck and killed him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness kind of interesting this is really a picture of grace coming from Solomon because he allowed Joab to have a decent burial very interesting he didn't have to do that he could have had his body thrown on the pile there and let the birds eat him verse 35 the king put Beniah the son of Jehoiada in his place over the army and this guy was the, uh, the bodyguard head bodyguard that uh, David had over him and now he's moving down to Solomon going to be with him He's now the commander of the army, and it says the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. Kind of interesting, the Lord's starting a new family line here uh, for the high priest because uh, it was supposed to be through Eli's family, and the Lord said, that's going to be cut off one day. It's now cut off. Remember that passage you read? The Lord said, I'm going to put a faithful guy, a righteous guy in your place. Zadok is the guy. Amazing. The Lord prepared this guy for just this time. So Solomon, he puts solid men now in these positions. And that's when you see things change. When qualified people are put in their rightful positions. And you know, Joab and Miathar, they might have thought that they couldn't be replaced. Probably talk to them, that's probably what they'd tell you. Even though they pull off some pretty evil stunts. But the Lord has no problem in raising up righteous people to replace those who have messed up and are not repentant. So one thing we see about these guys, they never repented. They jumped ship, they were unlo- they were disloyal, and they never repented. We don't see any of that. Yeah, verse 36, then the king sent and called for Shimei, and he said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. This is the other guy David had warned him about. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook of Kidron. He drew the line for him. Know you for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. It'll be your fault. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. So he signed the contract on this deal. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei here, he's one of them shady characters that David warned Solomon about. And Solomon sets up a very good test here. When you set limitations on someone who's rebellious by nature, That will eventually show up and their true nature will come out and they will rebel. (laughs) Rebels don't like to be confined or have restrictions placed on them. (laughs) So verse 40, uh, I'm sorry, verse 39 here. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Akish, the son of Miaka, king of Goth. Don't you think it's funny that this guy's a rebel and he's got some slaves that are rebelling against him? Kind of funny. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. They're runaways. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves, and Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. Just another day in the life, right? Shimei didn't think that these rules applied to him. I know he said that, and I know I agreed to it. I don't think those rules really apply, though. Not really. By doing things his own way, he disregarded the limitations that were placed on him, he's openly showing his disrespect for Solomon's authority. Verse 41, Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die and you said to me, the word I have heard is good. So Solomon reminds him that he swore and did this before the Lord and he fully agreed to the limitations that were placed on him. You know, the Lord tells us in his word, that man knows in his heart that God exists, but he wants to try and ignore the fact that it applies to him, just like Shimei's actions. We'll take a chance to look at it today, but if you want to mark these down, Romans 1, verses 18 to 21, That's Romans 1, 18 to 21, and 2 Peter 3, verses 5 to 6, we might revisit these next time, but the Lord tells us right there, man knows, he knows there's a God, he knows God created things, he willfully forgets. And he turns away from that. And the Lord says in those passages, they are without excuse because they know. And Solomon here, he doesn't even give Shimei an opportunity to even try to come up with an excuse either. Look at verse, verse 43. He says, Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord uh-huh. and the commandment that I gave you? So he's doubly guilty. Even just looking at this incident, not counting all the other stuff he's done in his life. But he pulled those other evil stunts, and Solomon's about to bring that up, too, right here. So verse 44, the king said, moreover to Shimei, You know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And I'll bet those final words made Shimei just grind his teeth with jealousy and hatred. This was a, a bad guy. <laughs> so verse 46, so the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and he went out and he struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So when, when wickedness is dealt with and justice is upheld, then a kingdom or a nation can be established in the eyes of the Lord. You know, although there's been some good changes made in our country since the last election, all the wickedness has not been dealt with, and all the changes that need to be made have not been completely done. We haven't seen a justice completely upheld. though Some efforts have been made for that. Okay, I'm not saying no, no, but not everything's perfect, right? Sometimes the job is just too complicated and too messed up. But we can rest assured that when Jesus returns... And he sets up his kingdom, you know, that the world will see all those things done right. In Revelation 19, we're told, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So if you hunger for righteousness to reign and you you long for justice to be served, then just wait. Because that day is coming and it's closer now than it ever has been before. I thought it was interesting as you look at this passage, kind of a, a distance a little bit. Here you've got a, a priest, you've got a military leader, and you've got a shyster, Shimei here. Those three guys are held accountable before the Lord. So it's kind of like it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how tough you are, how much you're into religion. It doesn't matter even if you're a shyster, you think you're going to go away with stuff. When it comes to the Lord, you will stand before him and you have to answer for those things. A very interesting passage the Lord reminds us people are not going to get away with anything. Yeah. So as we we close, we'll we'll pray here. If there's someone here who doesn't know the Lord, man, it's time to open your heart to the Lord. He does not mess around. Judgment is coming. And if somebody comes to mind that you thought of that, that really needs the Lord bad, pray for him right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word of truth. I thank you for letting us see these pictures, although some of them are kind of scary and very convicting. Lord, as you show us these things, I pray, if someone is here and they've not been honest with you, Lord, help them today to just break down and be honest with you. If someone is here listening to us, Lord, that they don't know Jesus yet, I pray, Lord, for that conviction to set in by the power of your spirit, Lord, that they would say, I need a Savior, I need Jesus, I need to come to the cross. And, Lord, I thank you that you died, you sent your son to die for our sins, to pay for our sins completely, and we just have to trust Christ. And you bless us with forgiveness, eternal life. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We want to give you back the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.